So as Greg mentioned, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. So if you're not there yet, you might want to go ahead and turn to Acts 2 right now. And if you um, don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the pew, and you can find our passage for this morning, Acts 2, 42 to 47, on page 911, 911. I won't try to make a joke. All right. Um, so the title of today's message is The Devoted Church. What is devotion? It actually can have a number of meanings. So to be devoted to something means that there's persistent, persevering commitment to it. There's also typically a heart-level component, right? You love something or someone, and so your heart is in that persevering commitment. In fact, oftentimes it's the heart that drives that persevering, constant commitment. So being devoted to your family or your sport or your hobby because you love it. You love them. Also, if a thing is devoted, it belongs to someone or something. So being devoted to my wife means forsaking all others. I belong to her. She belongs to me. Or if you have special scissors in your kitchen that are devoted to cutting food, you probably won't be cutting, you know, weeds out in the garden, although I'm not, I've, I've kind of done that before. The shears that are supposed to be for the meat um, end up being used somewhere else when you stick them in the dishwasher. Okay. So... It's not for common use, it's devoted for this particular purpose. Um, so, you see how fitting it is, if you think through each of those three meanings, how fitting it is that Jesus' church should be devoted. Devoted in heart, his church, we should love our triune God with all of our heart and love our brothers and sisters. God has our hearts. We belong to him, and our hearts are bound up with the well-being of our brothers and sisters. We belong to each other. We belong to God. We belong to each other. And this should be no flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. It's a commitment that is something we need to persist in and persevere in. So let me just ask you the question and get you thinking, evaluating your own life, your own heart, and I think that's something we need to do throughout this message as we consider this text. What are you devoted to? What am I devoted to? Like, not the right answer that we are supposed to give, but the actual answer as far as how we are living, how we actually live. So seriously, stop and think about it. What really has your devotion? What should have your devotion? So you can't necessarily do it right now. You probably shouldn't. You could, you know, pull it up on your phone. But you could look through your bank statement, your credit card statement, and see probably some evidence of what you're devoted to. You could look through your calendar to see what you're devoted to. You can look through your phone to see what you're devoted to. You can think through your thoughts. What do I mean by that? Where does your mind go when it's in neutral? It usually goes to the things that are most central to us, that we're most 
committed to, devoted to. And listen, here's the thing. Like, we're all going to be, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, convicted this morning. I certainly am. Um, we're always under construction. We're always in process, right? Okay, none of us have arrived. So listen, as we sit under God's word here, Acts 2, 42 to 47, you and I, we can change what we're devoted to. We can grow. So how does God, by his spirit, intend to change you and me this morning? So those are the kind of things we should be thinking about. In the context of Acts 2, we need to do a little bit of review, and we'll start with this. God, by his spirit, by the power of the gospel, first changes us by saving us. It begins with conversion. So if you remember last week, we looked at Peter's first sermon, you know, after Pentecost, or after the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, and there was an impressive result to this sermon. Lives changed. Um, so look first um, at verse 37. So if this all begins with conversion, it all begins with that, like, Copernican revolution where we change from the inside out um, if we're going to continue to change, it also happens by the power of the gospel, okay? So let's look at verse 37. We're going to actually focus on 42 to 47, but we need to remind ourselves of the context. So after Peter's sermon, he's focusing on Jesus. He's focusing on the fact that this is really the Messiah. He's really the Savior of the world, and you need to really repent and trust him. So verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Turn from your old way of life. Turn from unbelief. Turn from trying to run your own life. Turn from your own attempts at self-righteousness, of being righteous in your own efforts, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, it's a great way, another way to describe conversion, where you receive the word rather than, you know, it just glancing off the rock, going in one ear and out the other. No, we receive the word, this truth about Jesus, this truth about ourselves. They were baptized. I believe this. I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior. I want to be baptized. I want to go public with that faith. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So incredible response. And then as we read on, verses 42 to 47, what we're going to see is what the Holy Spirit produces. When the Spirit comes in power, we see the power of the gospel preached in the power of the Spirit producing this devoted church. Or we could say this healthy church. Or we could say this Spirit-filled church. So the main point of this morning is that the gospel of Jesus, remember it was Peter's preaching of the gospel that created the, the church, 
The word always creates the people of God. The gospel of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, produces a church that is devoted to the right things, rightly devoted to God and his word, to one another, and to the lost. Okay? So that's kind of the summary, big picture, main idea of this morning. The gospel of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, produces a church that is rightly devoted to God and his word, to one another, and to the lost. I love this quote by John Stott. He says, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his, the spirit's fruit, and no effective witness without this power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. So the Spirit is absolutely necessary if we are going to be the devoted, healthy, Spirit-filled church that God intends us to be. When we receive the Word of Christ in the power of the Spirit, like these early believers did, we become the devoted church God intends us to be. We receive in order to become. It's all by grace. So we're going to see this devoted church. They are devoted. Look at verse 42. It's all summarized in verse 42. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So just to give you a little bit of orientation, verse 42 is the summary. It's like the nutshell. And then it gets unpacked a little further in verses 43 to 47, and I think that'll become clear as we walk through this. So first, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Point number one, the teaching. Again, obvious there in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So we'll see in this section that these things are happening in all the healthy characteristics, the traits of this devoted church. They're happening in both formal and informal ways. And it's a both and. It's not an either or, it's a both and. So for instance, we need God's word on a daily basis. It's like what Jesus said, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God's word is like food for our souls. Our souls survive and thrive and are sustained by God's word. So we need it on a regular basis. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree. It gives life and fruitfulness, durability, stability, okay? So we need the teaching and preaching of God's word through the weekly preaching of God's word, through Bible studies, through discipleship curriculum classes, okay? Those are more formal contexts and also the informal context of our own study. So notice a likely mention of the formal teaching of the apostles in verse 46. So obviously they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In verse 46 it says, and day by day attending the temple together. Most likely, like how many people had just become Christians? 3,000. Where are they going to meet? Well, the temple precincts were the only place where you could gather that many people together so that the apostles could actually teach them. Okay, so they're gathering there regularly for the teaching and also the prayers. We'll come to that shortly. So this spirit-filled church will most certainly be a word-saturated church. 
because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So we should always just keep the word and the spirit together. They're inseparable. Can you separate your words from your breath? You can't speak words without emitting breath. Well, the word of God and the spirit, the breath of God, are inseparable. At least they shouldn't be separated. In fact, the word without the spirit becomes sterile and dead orthodoxy. And the spirit without the word will become emotionalism or a worship of spiritual experience, unguided and guarded by truth. So not those, you know, separated versions, reductionistic um, orientations. No, word and spirit together. So look at these two texts. Um, I don't know how well this works on PowerPoint. Okay, so... Do you see these two texts just as an example? Ephesians 5 says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? You address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Well, look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What happens when you're filled with the word? teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you see the two fountainheads filled with the Spirit, filled with the Word? And what flows is very similar. Is everybody seeing that? Okay? Word and Spirit together, not separated. So the devoted church, and we want to be a devoted church, right? Like Acts 2, is a learning church rightly related to God and his word. So the question is, again, we need to all personally evaluate where we're at, how God wants to change us. We certainly want to grow corporately as well. That happens as each of us, you know, um, grow and, and change and respond to God's spirit as he convicts us. So are you devoted to the word of God? And if not, why not? Because you can change what you're devoted to. Like, let us not be fatalistic in the church. The omnipotent spirit of God is in the equation. He is here and helping us and willing to help us grow and change. So how does God, by his spirit, intend to change you and me this morning, this week? By the help of the Holy Spirit. By, where, by way of prayer and reworking our practices and our habits, we can grow and be the devoted to his word people, individually and corporately, that God intends us to be. Secondly, the early church was devoted to the fellowship. Okay, look at verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Actually, the fellowship. Koinonia. Maybe some of you have heard that Greek word before. And then it says, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We're going to actually look at fellowship and the breaking of bread together because they go together, and hopefully you'll see why in just a minute. But this devotion to fellowship is unpacked in verses 44 to 46. Look at it there. And all who believed were together. Okay, koinonia is certainly a togetherness dynamic 
and they had all things in common. You know what that word is in, in Greek? Koina. So they devoted themselves to the koinonia, and they had all things in koina, in common. They shared everything. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. You see why breaking of bread is going to be combined here with a fellowship. That's the same language in verse 42, the breaking of bread. And here, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Okay, so what is koinonia? What is fellowship? Well, think about it this way. It's both sharing in, maybe I should say sharing in, and sharing out. What does that mean? Well, first, it's sharing in Christ together. When you're a Christian, you are a partaker of Christ. You have a share in Christ by the grace of God. Like everything that Jesus won for his people on the cross is yours. So we actually sung of some of these things. I was, I was noting them as we were singing. Ephesians 2, like raised up with Christ. He's our soul's reward. We have a reward. We have a heavenly homeland. We have a, a living hope. Like, Christ is our hope in life and in death. Like, how marvelous, how wonderful is our Savior's love for us. We, we share in that. That's ours. We have a share in Christ because of the grace of God. We're adopted sons and daughters. We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So we share in that. Isn't that sweet? So listen to the way this word is used a couple times in the New Testament. In 1 John 1, 3, John writes, That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, sharing with us. And indeed, our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we have this wonderful, sweet, rich grace-filled relationship with God the Father and God the Son, and we share it together. So we have fellowship on a horizontal level as well. Well, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, many times I've given the benediction from 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any koinonia in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, you know, and he goes on. So there is this sharing in all that is ours because of the grace of God in Christ. Let me just maybe, maybe this will help to think about it this way. Let's say you have shares in a really, successful company. So 2017 was the 20th year anniversary of Amazon's IPO, their initial public offering. If you invested $1,000 in shares of Amazon stock in 1997, it would have been worth almost 
2017. If you invested $10,000 in Amazon stock shares in 1997, it would have been worth about $16.5 million in 2022. Don't you all wish? I don't know what the updated numbers are for 2024, nor do I care. But think of what it would mean to share in the ownership of that company by way of that stock. Think about what it would mean, what would be yours, what it would mean for your life and your security and your pleasure and your future and your generosity and what you could pass on to your kids. And do you see, if you shared in that rich resource, think of what would be yours. And if other people, like if you met somebody on a train, you know, that got in early, you're going to be like, <laughs> you know, and you're like just enjoying it together, right? Well, listen, that's just like nothing. It's just like chump change and ultimately like it's passing away compared to what we share in if we're in Christ. The riches are way greater, they last way longer. And when we get together and we remember and kind of point out to each other and elbow each other, when we sing about the things that we sung this morning, it's like we are just like basking in all that is ours in Christ. And we can encourage each other in that. Does that make sense? And the Spirit actually enables us to know what is ours. So Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Like, don't we want the fellowship of the Spirit where he makes the love of God that is true but can seem like it's out there or it's on the page, but I'm not experiencing it. The Holy Spirit helps us know it internally, experience it, Lord, do that. I want to have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, knowing what is mine in Christ, knowing what is ours in Christ. Or Romans 8, 15, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You see how the Holy Spirit is helping you know whose you are. If you suffer and you cry out, Abba, Father, oh, you must be a Christian. You must be a beloved son or daughter of the King. And to know that you are an heir, that you have this inheritance, we're almost home, we sung it. All these very great and precious promises are ours. So we can enjoy the grace of God together when we join together for church like this, when we meet together in our community groups, when we share a meal together, when we break bread together and we're, we're talking about Jesus and encouraging each other. He's the one that provides our daily bread. We're reminded of that. We give thanks to him. We enjoy his provision. And he's the one who gave the living bread for our soul's sustenance and well-being. So devoted to the breaking of bread is a subcategory of the fellowship. So we are sharing in Christ, enjoying, it's like, 
Think about Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. And you start rehearsing the benefits. And when we do that together, we help each other, don't we? Like, isn't it a help? Sometimes you come in kind of cold and flat on a Sunday morning, and then you sing a song that reminds you of all the riches and the grace that is ours in Christ, and your spirits lift, right? We're doing that. And we can do that in our community groups. We can do that when we go out for coffee or breakfast or whatever and meet up with each other and encourage each other. So, day by day, attending the temple, breaking bread in their homes, common meals, again, formal and informal, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Sunday mornings, community groups, both important. And they were devoted to both. We should be devoted to both. So I want to commend our community groups. Like, obviously you're here. I'm preaching to the choir. Sunday morning should be a priority. We should be devoted to this kind of gathering, but also community groups. I want to just mention our leaders by name. If you're not in a community group, you need to know where to go. And you know what? You can go to one today. Our group's meeting at 1230-ish at our house, okay? So anybody that wants to visit a community group, you can visit ours. But if you're a community group leader and you're in here, Russell and Sharon, Gene Lee, you guys stand up for a sec. Where are they? Are they here? They're sharing, okay? Um, Mike and Bonnie Saunders and Beryl. Okay, I'm, I'm not, this is going to take too long. So just as soon as I mention your name, um, Alan, Debbie, Husk has, have a group. Greg and Janet Bauman and Bill and Sue help out with that group as well. Chris and Kenza Elliott. Steve and Jemmy the Jan help out with the Elliott's group. And then myself and, and Beth um, have a group. So if you're not in community group, community group, Visit one of these. Talk with one of the. Hey, are you guys meeting today? There are groups that meet at lunch on Sunday evening, this evening, Friday night. If you are in a community group, you know what? You might need a shot in the arm so that you'd be devoted to both the informal and the formal gatherings. Like, how can we... Am I devoted to, to this kind of fellowship and breaking of bread? How can I help our group live this out better for the blessing of current group members and the blessing of future group members. So when we gather, it's not just a, you know, result of occupying the same space together. Fellowship is sharing together in Christ, encouraging each other with all that is ours in Christ and being a means of grace to one another, providing wisdom and encouragement and burden bearing and rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. So if you are in Christ, you share in all the grace and mercy and promises and benefits that Jesus bought for us on the cross. So we share in that together, but we also share out with each other. So second half of this is sharing out. And this is clear in the ways that this fellowship this sharing is unpacked in the verses that follow verse 20, verse 42. So, again, most fundamentally, we are together in the gospel, sharing in Christ. And then there's these material needs that need to be met. And sharing out happens as a result of sharing in Christ. Or you could say it this way. We share to meet needs within the household of faith as a result of our share in Christ by the gospel of grace. It's all a generous gift, so we give generously. Freely we have received, freely we give. Because we share in, we also share out. So look at verses 44 and 45. 
it unpacks this sharing out aspect of fellowship in 42. And we see their devotion to this fellowship, this sharing out. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Koina. Like Koine Greek, you've heard that. It's the common language of the time. And they were selling their possessions, probably a reference primarily to property and belongings. This was, you know, eBay and Facebook marketplace to the glory of God in the first century, okay? Um, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So listen, this is not some early form of communism. Okay, this is voluntary. It's clear that believers retained their homes, many of them. They were gathering in their homes to break bread. This isn't selling everything. But it is giving willingly and generously as any had need. This is actually assumed as normal in the New Testament. Just let me hit a few verses quickly. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother, talking about Christians here, in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Or Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, inside and outside, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then James 2, 15 to 17. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of the one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also, also faith, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So this happens in a thousand ways in the church. And I commend you, Bethel, for the ways in which you do this, invisible and invisible ways. It is beautiful. I've seen it so many times over the years. And I've just over and over again just been struck with how beautiful it is the way that this church meets needs. Meals, thoughtful gifts at times of need, practical provision with beds and cars and gifts of money, etc., etc. And again, this happens informally, oftentimes under the radar, in very kind of natural, organic ways. We also do this more formally through our deacon fund. And just so that you know, Diane Sparks is the deacon who currently administers that fund. Diane, are you in here? Okay, you need to know where she is because you might need to talk to her, okay? So, again, I want to get really practical here. The purpose of the Deacon's Fund. I'm going to read from our little policy that we have here. The Deacon's Fund is available to meet the basic needs of those within our church, within our community, or associated with our missions ministries who are struggling to financially provide for themselves, such as the biblical example of the deacons providing for widows and orphans in Acts 6, or for individuals and families who have financial needs due to unforeseen circumstances. The Deacon's Fund is intended to be a temporary help during times of significant need. And then we actually list out some categories. Purpose of Deacon's Fund is to meet people's basic needs. Funds will be dispersed for specific assistance consistent with wise biblical stewardship. Though not exhaustive, this, this section lists some of the most basic needs or circumstances under which financial assistance may be dispersed from the fund. Food, clothing, shelter, like mortgage or rent payments, utilities, medical care, transportation. We've helped people with auto repairs or even helped people buy a car funeral expenses, counseling services, okay? So if you are in need, you can see Diane, and obviously she's going to ask you some questions and understand, but this is going to be confidential. The point is we want to take care so that nobody is in need. You can also see me if you want, but I'm going to send you to Diane. <laughs> All right? 
So this is just very practical application. Another way that I want to apply this is right now our deacon's fund balance is $6,400-ish, okay? That's actually really low, historically speaking. So the Lord's provided for us abundantly. We're not hurting right now financially, but historically, it's been more common to hold a balance of somewhere between fourteen dollars and $17,000. So, uh, again, yep, just get there in just one second, Christian. Good question. So, you know, Beth and I actually just recently increased our giving to the fund because I noticed, oh, whoa, that's lower than usual. So I'd encourage you to consider the same. So you can give online. You can look at the link on the website, um, and there's a, a thing to kind of give specifically to the deacon fund, okay? So giving is always a reflex of grace we have received, so therefore we give, okay? We share as a result of our share in the gospel and the grace of God. As Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, as for those who are rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You know what that word is, ready to share? Koinonikus. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? All right. So are you devoted to the fellowship, sharing in and sharing out? And if not, why not? We can change what we're devoted to. How does God, by his spirit, intend to change you and me this morning? Maybe it's just a small incremental way of growth here or here, an application here or there. By the help of the Holy Spirit, by way of prayer and reworking our priorities, our practices, our habits, we can change, we can grow. The devoted church is a learning church, rightly related to God and his word. The devoted church is a loving church, rightly related to one another. Third, the devoted church is a praying church, okay? Point number three, devoted to the prayers. And they devoted themselves to the prayers, we actually see devotion and prayer linked several times in the New Testament. We already saw it in Acts. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Same words in Acts 1.14. We saw it in Romans 12. Re Greg read it just a, few minutes, just a little while ago. Romans 12.12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's that devoted word. And also in Colossians 4. So, Devoted to the prayers, literally, is what it reads. What does that mean? Well, most likely, these Jews who became Christians, believing that Jesus was the Messiah, repenting and trusting in him and being baptized, they continued to go to the temple at the set times of prayer. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 1. I'm not going to steal any of Eugene's thunder because he's preaching chapter 3 next week, but let's just read verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So if you look down to verse 46, day by day attending the temple together, you see they're still going to the temple daily for teaching and for the prayers. And they're breaking bread in their homes, praising God, so they're praying together informally, and they're going to the temple to pray in more formal setting, corporate, you know, larger group, smaller group. So kind of like us, we pray in our service here. We have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. You're invited, join us. We also pray in our community groups and in other informal times of prayer. And then there's a Saturday missions prayer group that Gene Lee 
leads on a monthly basis. So are we devoted to prayer? Am I devoted to prayer? Are, are you? Formally, informally, privately, personally, and corporately. If not, why not? We can change what we're devoted to. So how does God, by his spirit, intend to change you and me this morning? By the help of the Holy Spirit, by way of prayer, like, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, help me depend on you, abide in you. Teach me to become a faithful intercessor so I can be devoted to prayer. We actually can grow in this. So devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. But wait, there's one more. Devoted to the lost. Point number four. Wait, where's that one? I don't see that one in verse 42. Do you? Well, it seems to be a pretty fair assumption that the early church here is an evangelistic church. Look down at verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. Their devotion, their love, the power of the Spirit. You can imagine the conversations like, man, what's going on among these people? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They had favor with all. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. So listen, we won't always have favor with people outside the church. But we ought to have a good reputation with outsiders, generally speaking. That's even a qualification for an elder. I mean, after Jesus said that we were the light of the world in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Or in, Peter, in 1 Peter 2, 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The devoted church is also an evangelistic church in a sense, rightly related to the world, to the lost, because we want to win them. We, like Bethel, if you're a believer, this is your church, you belong to Jesus, we represent Jesus to the city of Wilmington. You know that, right? Newcastle County, and maybe that's too nebulous. You represent Jesus in your neighborhood, at your place of work, in your other spheres of relationship and influence. We gotta take that seriously because we're always going to reflect what we are devoted to. It's just a matter of like what we're going to reflect. We're always gonna reflect something and it's gonna be what we are devoted to. So what are you devoted to? What are you reflecting? Our purpose statement here at Bethel is we exist to reflect God's infinite worth through Christ for the glory of his name and the good of all peoples. We're like little moons to the sun of whatever we're devoted to. We reflect what we're devoted to. So what are you and I devoted to? Well, they were a learning church, the early church, rightly related to the word. They were a worshiping church, rightly related to God in awe and praise and prayer. They were a loving church, rightly related to each other in fellowship. And they were an evangelistic church, rightly related to the lost. Or you, I guess you could say they were rightly related to God, each other, and the world. Kind of sounds like our values. Gospel, community, and mission. So as we close, one final point. Remember a couple weeks ago I mentioned that 
The book of Acts is not prescriptive. It's telling a story. It's not, you know, always giving commands like it has to be this way. But it is programmatic. Okay? So it's not prescriptive. Like, the fact that some of them were selling property doesn't mean that you need to go sell that piece of property that you have in, you know, central Pennsylvania today. Maybe you should. But it's programmatic. It establishes a pattern for a healthy church, a spirit-filled church pattern, okay? A pattern of inner church health and a health of not being ingrown but outreaching. So it's not prescriptive as if it's like some magic formula, you know, to the idyllic church life. Sometimes Christians, I think, say things like, well, if we could just get back to the early church. Sometimes I want to just say, maybe this is the contrarian in me, the little bit of snark. Spiritual snark, is that possible? Anyway, like, do you mean the early church in Corinth where they were, you know, failing to deal with that one member who was sleeping with his stepmother? Do you mean the early church in Galatia where they were embracing a Jesus plus legalistic message that was forsaking the gospel and leading Paul to think that his labor was in vain? You know, we could multiply examples. So we need to be careful in that sense because the church has never been perfect. But this, you know, even like this, this, this selling of property, it's, it's quite possible that this was a temporary solution to an emergency that was created. People were there because of Pentecost. And they wanted to keep learning and growing because they just become Christians. But they actually, many of them lived elsewhere. And so selling stuff was enab enabling them to stay for long enough to get grounded in their new faith before they went back home. You see what I'm saying? So not prescriptive, but programmatic. This kind of devotion to the teaching of the word, to fellowship, sharing in, sharing out, the prayers, the lost, that should be the pattern we follow. Are we getting with the program? We need to wrap things up here. So um, my encouragement, brothers and sisters, is that we examine ourselves and seek God's grace for change as he leads us by his spirit. What are you and I? What are we devoted to? And listen, if it's something other than, you know, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, like how long is that stuff going to last that we're devoted to? Let's be devoted to the only institution, the only corporate body that King Jesus promised to build. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. I'm going to end with two quotes and then we, we will have a closing song here. So if the music team wants to come up. Don Whitney has this quote that I usually actually quote both of these in our membership class. Um, so if you've been in our membership class, maybe you'll remember these, but Don Whitney writes this, imagine a history book written in heaven a million years after the end of the earth. How much space will it devote to the stock market, corporate mergers, presidential elections, and sports championships? To all you Super Bowl watchers for today. Won't it be dominated instead by actions in and through the local church Deeds that passed unnoticed at the time by people the world overlooked. The names of many mighty and noble may be mere footnotes, but the names of those who love the Lord and ministered to his saints will fill its pages. So I'm going to give Charles Spurgeon the last word here. Um, 
I love this quote. He says, give yourselves to the church. That's a, another way to say be devoted to her. Give yourselves to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you've not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Oh, God, make that true here of Bethel. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God will be lost to the world. As I've already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's. Nor need, nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children, where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. Let's pray.